This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Isn't it bullshit to have to question where your food comes from? At Vital Farms, you can trace your pasture-raised eggs all the way back to the source, the pasture. On the side of each pasture-raised carton of eggs, you'll find the name of the farm where your eggs were laid. And when you look the farm up on their website, you'll get a peek at all the sunshine, fresh air, and open space the hens enjoy. Learn more and find out where to buy them at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This spring, Lee is bringing iconic styles to you with gotta haves for everyone serious about their trip. Chore coats, Western shirts, and denim that enhances what you've got. These are styles born to be reworn. Shop them at lee.com. That's L E E.com now. Style never pauses. Shop iconic fits at lee.com. Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I'm Kevin Garcia, and uh, you're back. I'm always just so joyful when you come back and hang out with me. It's a treat and a joy, and I'm having a great time. So, uh, things just to share with you that are going down in my world. Right now, I am starting the interview process for the applicants for what I'm calling the Crowded Table Winter Cohort. It is a 12-week group coaching program plus e-course module, plus one-to-one coaching, all in one big fat project so that you can actually start getting back to your fucking life. I have been coaching folks for over three years now, um, and it started off as one-to-one stuff, and then it evolved into group stuff, and I just tried a bunch of stuff to see what was the most effective way to get people through you know, the trauma that we've all been caring for so long, and what were the things that actually helped spark new beliefs and new chronic imagination and new ways of moving through the world. And what I've realized is that it really is a combination of one-to-one and group and having a shared common language. So I invite you, if you are interested in learning how to do spirituality outside of strict Christianity, I want you to come be a part of the Crowded Table Winter Cohort. Applications are open now. Space is limited to just 25 people. Don't worry, we're going to offer it again in the springtime. But um, I've already got 24 people lined up to possibly jump in on this. So please, if you're interested, go to thekevingarcia.com slash cohort, put in your application, let's talk ASAP, and let's get this off the ground because I would love to see you start thriving and I want to see you thrive alongside all of these other amazing people who are going to be joining us. Friends, today on the podcast, I'm excited to share this conversation with my friend, Dr. Tina Shermer-Sellers. We met and connected over the summertime, and when I tell you, um, she also hosted me while I was staying in Seattle while I was on tour, and is literally just an incredible mind, an incredible woman, has an incredible heart, and also just is a genius. Like, she's so aware and well-read and just like, the bitch practice is what she preaches, let me tell you. So it, a little bit about her, Dr. Tina is a licensed sex and gender feminist, psychotherapist, best-selling author, a researcher, Emirati professor, and media personality whose expertise spans sex therapy, spiritual intimacy, parenting, and social justice. Her revolutionary perspectives have been expressed on platforms such as spirituality and health, 
Refinery29, Vocal, Medium, and Bust magazines, along with many other podcasts, radio shows, TV interviews, etc. Known for exposing the impact of sexual shame on our ability to securely attach to our partners and instruct our children to attach to theirs, Dr. Seller's book, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, has had a global impact. Her latest book, which came out on June 1st, is called Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to Know to, or Everything You Need to Raise Shame-Free, Confident Kids and Heal Your Shame Too. It was a bestseller released in five categories, and she is still speaking throughout the world on how to heal, how to raise shame-free, relational, confident kids, and um, she's literally just a badass. I really, really enjoy talking with her, and I'm glad that today I get to share this conversation with you. So go ahead and grab yourself something to drink and enjoy this conversation with your girl, Dr. Tina Shermer-Sellers. I am a sex therapist, a, a marriage and family therapist, um, and I've written books on sexual shame and religious sexual shame and probably was one of the first people to say that the symptoms that I was seeing from the purity movement and from abstinence mm -hmm. education that we started in the 80s was looking exactly like people who had suffered childhood sexual abuse. I mean, that was the symptom that we were seeing. And that was way back in 2006. And That's a bold-ass statement, too. But it was the truth. I mean, it was yeah. what clinically I was seeing. And I knew that that was not what the church was intending, but that, in fact, was the result in mm. people's lives. And I was seeing things clinically that I had never seen before. And it needed to be spoken and we needed to do something about it. Um, and so it was more that, that I think it changed the trajectory of my career because I'd been working a ton in medicine at that point before, but all along I had been teaching graduate level human sexuality courses and I had my PhD in clinical sexology. And I was this weirdo because I was a Christian. I mean, I claimed that I, I mean, I was this follower of Jesus. And as the church took off and went this place, Jesus had never gone. Mm -hmm. I just stayed over here hanging out with Jesus. And I was teaching at a Christian school, but my graduate department didn't need for, um, it didn't need anything from me except for to teach my craft. Right. Well, so because of that, I had a lot of freedom to study and research and do what I needed to do and say what I needed to say, which gave me a lot of freedom. And um, and so when I started to see what I started to see, I started to write about it. And so so I was this weird anomaly because I was this Christian. I was trained in clinical sexology and marriage and family therapy and in medicine and I was seeing what I was seeing and I started to write and research about it and say, we have got to stop. We have, we have got to stop what we're doing. Um, and if, if this is what we're producing, we're clearly not, we don't have a Christian sexual ethic because if we had a Christian sexual ethic, it would be mm -hmm. producing grace and love and justice and, you know, the fruit of the spirit, maybe, I don't right. know. Yeah. You ever heard yeah. of it? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, and so that's where my life took off. And that was back in 2006 and it, it hasn't stopped. And I continue to be surprised. There was something released a couple of weeks ago of me talking about this and, 
And people, you know, were coming forward and saying, man, I haven't heard anybody talk about it like this. And I said, I feel like I've been talking about this now forever. And people still are saying mm -hmm. nobody has, has said this. And I'm like, yes. we have so much work to do. That because that's the thing is you said you've been doing this since 2006, not to like age anyone or age myself, but like age myself or like how young I am. In 2006, I was a sophomore in high school and I had just gone to my first Exodus conference. Wow, 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 wow. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's where we were on timelines. And so, it's so very interesting to hear that I'm like, oh my, so like you were over here, like, really like advocating for like this huge like more inclusive better way of doing sexual ethics at all and i was still like that was what was taught to me yeah right right i'm over here saying we have 20 year old men with erectile dysfunction and we have 20 year old women with vaginismus because they're scared out of their fucking minds mm -hmm. and you're over here being told that everything about you is wrong. I mean, this is this is the world that we had going on. It, it it's just it's so ascetic. It's so crazy. Mm -hmm. You know. It, and like yeah. hindsight, I, I actually just talked to somebody on um, yesterday on the drive up here to Bend, where I am, uh, about how when I was thirteen, my I don't know why, but like I went to a Promise Keepers conference when I was like 13. Oh my. Yeah. And I'm like, why did anybody think that that was appropriate in any, <laughs> in any stretch? I'm like, this is, I was the only non, oh, like everyone when there was at least 21, 22, like. Right. And I was, it was very strange. Anyways. Um, you were probably that earnest, right? Oh my God. I was so pious. I wanted to love the Lord. And I like, I didn't, I wasn't, I was a uh, kind of, I was telling this to somebody else. I was pre-sexual at the time. Like I didn't have like any attraction towards anyone, yeah. but I did know that like my expression of whatever I was did not line up with what it meant to be an actual man of God TM. And so like, I was pretty desperate even at that young age to go find out how to do it. Right, 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 right. Uh, so I always say the people who are most earnest, most tender, most sensitive mm -hmm. are the ones that were most hurt by yeah. the movement. That's just stories I've heard. Mm -hmm. And I really think that's it is just because like we, you know, I think, you know, we grew up in a lot of us like we grew up in homes that really did mean well. Sure. And really oh. did. And like, you know, for in that like the, we're loving until the point when like. I think you talk about this um, in Shameless Parenting, but it's the great transition right there. Um, <laughs> but you talk a lot about this in Shameless Parenting around like how parents, like it is your shame triggers that cause you to react to what your children are doing. Right, exactly, exactly, yep. It's the combination of their shame triggers and their ignorance, the not knowing what is developmentally appropriate, a de developmentally typical, developmentally normal. They don't know that because no one taught them and no one taught the thems before them and the thems mm -hmm. before them. And so- Kind of like a generational curse, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Epigenetic curses that have been passed down forever, you know, yeah. No, but like on the real though, like when I learned about like, just like 
trauma patterns within families. And I, when I was in, you know, good old seminary and learned about family systems theories and I learned about epigenetics and I learned about how trauma like imprints itself in the DNA. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, listen, when he was like, that is a generational curse. It's literally just people in ignorance perpetuating the same cycle. So it's like, you know, and they're saying like, in when God says, I'm going to curse them under the fourth and fifth generation. I'm just like, nah, they just cursing themselves. That's really what's going on. It's like, he's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. But like, that's really kind of what it comes down to is the beginning of that awareness. Um, so when you are like, because you're a sex therapist specifically, tell me what that means. Because I feel like sex therapist can mean a couple different things for a couple different people. Well, and it's, that's actually a really good question because I love when that is clarified, right? Because mm-hmm. so, and, and it's actually useful to ask this to lots of people because I don't think people always define it the same, although the field is defined. So I don't want it to sound like it's, you know, airy fairy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my original training was in marriage and family therapy. So I'm a systems thinker, you know, so I think of people as living in relationships in context. So context to their history, context to the relationships they're in, and then context to culture and ethnicity and race and community, et cetera, et cetera. So I never think of somebody as just having interest, psychic, whatever. I think of them as living in context and that is valuable and it informs their lives. Um, But then um, I also think of people as biopsychosocial, spiritual, sexual, and I believe that's the mm. way that God created us. And because of that, I also believe that all practitioners, including medical practitioners, ought to, and I'm keeping myself from using that should word, mm-hmm. ought to go on and get training in at least the basics in your sexual biases. Mm -hmm. and in human sexuality. Unfortunately, you don't get that in your master's or PhD training in medicine, in psychotherapy, in any of the psych types, any psychiatry, clinical psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, any of them you'll get at best one class. And that class Mm. could include anything. It could include sexual dysfunctions. And believe me, I know people who still teach that LGBTQ fall in there. (sighs) I know. Um, Delicious. We love it. Right, right, right. So when you go on to study and become certified as a sex therapist, because you believe that's important to have in your toolkit, you could be coming into that study as a social worker, as a marriage and family therapist, as a clinical psychologist, as whatever. And you are adding that to your repertoire of training. Mm -hmm. You're never just doing that. You already have a master's or a PhD and you are adding that training to your toolkit. Now you can also get certified as a sex educator. Now you, when you talk to Erica, she's Mm -hmm. certified as a sex educator. Which is, so she has a bachelor's in something and then she went on to become a sex educator. You can be in medicine or something and you can go on and get certified as a sex counselor and add that training. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a further certification and you study your sexual biases. That is an absolute requirement. So we have a course called the SAR, the Sexual Attitude Reassessment, because I run an Mm -hmm. institute that does this training. Nice. And, And that course 
I believe everyone should take, but especially anybody who does any healing arts at all. And we have people who live in every sexual margin that you can imagine. And they come and they are willing to tell their story and their life and let you ask questions. And this is an incredible sacred gift because it's not their job to educate, um, mm. but they do. They come in and they tell us all kinds of things and they push people, they push their buttons. And the job is for you as the practitioner to pay attention to where you are getting pushed, where mm. your biases, what your assumptions were when you came in so that when you leave, you are a different practitioner. Good. Your assumptions were blown up. So we do that at least once a year, usually during Pride Week in Seattle is when we do it. And then we have an advanced clinical sexology course that's just everything that you would never cover in a behavioral health mm. degree. And that's 46 hours. It's a semester course in six days. And you just do mm. a ton of work before and some work afterwards. And then that's lots of stuff that you just never cover. So at least when you do those two courses, you come out and you're like, all right, now I feel some sense of confidence that I mm -hmm. understand the depth, understand the depths of sexuality. So if you want to hear something mortifying, there's really always, no, always want to hear always, something mortifying. There's no such thing as sex addiction. That is not in the DSM. It has never <sighs> been validated. Can I get a witness? Yes. Never been validated. How, and, but the certified sex addiction therapists, those folks, mm. they do no study in their sexual biases. And they actually do no training in sexual health either. They do two years of training and none of that training mm -mm. is in sexual biases or sexual health. None. Zero. zero. <sighs> that breaks my heart so much because I have like, that's like something I, I've talked about with my therapist, like about like, I'm like, I've, I've heard people say this and I've heard like, I'm just like, yeah, like behaviors can, you know, you can have out of control behaviors that you can learn to control, but it's like, Right. Absolutely. I'm not saying that people don't aren't sometimes plagued by feeling out of control about their behavior. Not saying that. Yeah. And it's like the same thing with like, um, you know, when people say like, oh, I have a porn addiction. I'm just like, or did you just uh, watch porn one time that one exactly. time? Let's really talk about what that means for you. Yeah. Right. We now have at least three studies, at least three that I know of where conclusively they have shown that it is your perception mm -hmm. of the problem that causes the emotional disturbance. Yes. So if I believe that my porn use is a problem, that is what causes my emotional disturbance. So now imagine this, I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. I've been told it's a problem. My partner believes it's a problem, which usually in heterosexual relationships, if it's the man that uses, she believes it's a problem because she's been told he's an animal her whole life. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to go see a Christian sex addiction therapist. He Ooh. already knows going in that this person who owns power over him believes it's a problem too. So now his perception has been doubled down on by somebody who owns power over him. Hmm. And like, so it's, 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 it's like, power. yeah. And it's, it's reinforcing what he already knows he's going to hear, which is, right. yeah, you're, you're, you're bad. bad. You're bad. You're bad. But thank God for, for, for Jesus. So, cause you can just, you know, stop it, that. you just <laughs> stop. And it's never like, 
I mean, I remember like being in like the like in ex gay therapy circles. So that's always what it was. It was never a- addressing the why or addressing anything deeper beyond. Okay, there's this action, and you just don't do that action. And if you do that right. action, it's okay. We love you no matter what. Just don't do that action again. Right. So we can't. What we know will heal is having a sex positive frame. Really helping people understand their sexuality, helping them understand the role that erotic erotic imagery is going to play, they want to play, or what can be healthy, blah, 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 all kinds of things that they need to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Where are all the holes in that ignorance, filling that, as well as what's going on in the relationship and all the things that that she's been taught. I mean, oh, there's so many things, but no, they don't do any of that. They just double down on the thing that's causing him the emotional disturbance so he can just go on feeling shittier and shittier and shittier Mm -hmm. shame like let's just feed shame yes and what's so interesting too is like in those circles like thinking back on how people talked about like for us like it was more like it was both like an issue of behavior but also an issue if you had you know if you struggled with homosexuality or same-sex attraction it was um it was never like, I don't know. We never paused and just asked why we were doing this to ourselves. And like, or like I had always like this sneaking suspicion in my head. I'm just like something like, why does God want us to be miserable? Because this does not feel like abundant life. This doesn't feel like healing. This is like, oh, but this is how we do. It's always like, always prescriptions, like any sort of like, uh, right. insight from your own body because your body is the source of the issue itself. Mm-hmm. And um, th- th- sorry, I now remember the original point I was getting at. But like, I, I the question I have a whole lot in my mind these days is like, what is healthy masculinity? And what is, you know, a, a healthy male identified person in the world? Like, who can feel all of his feelings and still be tender, but then also still be strong and still be feel free to like dumb dude shit. Like I do, you know, it's like, how can we, like, it's like, it's very interesting to say that, that men need a safe space, but in some ways it's because of toxic masculinity that men do not feel safe to be fully embracing of the fluidity of masculinity in general. No, it's totally true. It's totally true. I don't know if you know who Caitlin Moran is, but she is um, a British writer. She's she could be a stand up comedian and probably does on sometimes, but she's written a couple of books. And I think one of them is I am a woman like 15 years ago. Another one's more than a woman that she just mm-hmm. came out with like a few years ago uh, or a year ago, maybe. And she has a chapter in it. And she's one of those writers, comedian writers that everything she says is just so freaking true. Mm-hmm. Right, you it's, know? And it's also very succinct and you're like, shit, man. So yeah. Good. So she has a chapter on masculinity because her younger, much younger brother was living with her and he walked in the room one day and he's like, I hate, I hate feminism. And she's like, dude, like, really? Like what, what is it that you hate? And he kind of goes on and, and what he's talking about is really sounded like jealousy. Hmm. And so she puts out to her Twitter world, what's, is what's hard about being a man? Like, tell me what's hard about being a man. And she didn't think she'd hear much. And she just got this diatribe, you know, mm-hmm. from that about just so many things. Like I get goosebumps just thinking about the chapter. It's one of the best chapters I think I've ever read about what we do to men. And then and what she said is she says, 
men are angry at patriarchy in the way that women have been angry at patriarchy for years. But the thing is, we've been given all this permission to push back because we could be tomboys for a long, you know, for mm-hmm. years. And men just haven't been given that permission. And so then they've been mad at feminism, feminism, at women. But really, it's patriarchy for them, too. Mm-hmm. Right. They need to break that down. And she said, we can't do it for them. They've got to be able to. Mm-hmm. Do that, you know. And I have a good friend. Oh, it'd be so great if you could meet him. His name is Mac. And um, he's just this amazing, amazing guy. But for the bulk of his life, until he was like 40, he was um, nationally ranked female mm-hmm. um, uh, martial artist, competing martial artist in the United States, like nationally. Right. And he stayed in it because he knew if he transitioned, he'd lose it all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he just stayed in it until he couldn't compete anymore. And then and he grew up in the South. And then he moved to Seattle and he was like, okay, done. I'm going to transition. And and he's been a sex educator Mm. ever since. And he's just this remarkable human. Well, Max started um, a toxic masculinity group in Seattle where Mm -hmm. he just brings together a whole mess of men. And my partner is a part of it. And and this is what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They're talking about what does the full range and the full permission look like where every kind of man in the world gets to be a part of deciding and being, and then what does pushing against really look like, you know, because, you know, they're all feeling it too, right? Every, all, so many men who are conscious of it are aware of it. This is so timely. Um, I'm also writing this down because I have a, I have a, a idea for a podcast I'm, I'm brewing in my head called mask M A S C Uh, and I want to talk about like, what is the question of like, what is healthy masculinity from as many perspectives as possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this to me also just sounds like, oh my God, this is something I'm like, we could easily, like, I'm thinking about like a a church programming stuff because it's still involved with my dope ass church in Atlanta. I'm like, oh, a toxic masculinity group. I know plenty of people who would want to come to that. Yeah. And then also I'm just like, maybe, and maybe that's like the, the advent of the next men's group is just like, you know, like a place where like, and cause like, I think in the, at the end of the day, like not the end of the day, but just like, I think back to those like promise keepers places, just like, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a space that specializes for a certain kind of gender experience. Um, it's only when you take that gender experience and crunch it down into something that it becomes a problem. That's right. Because if I was creating like a men's space, I'd still show up in heels and in makeup and still be super like femme because it has nothing to do with it. That's right. Exactly. Um, and everything to do with it. Yes. Oh. Hello. <laughs> I mean, that permission to have somebody come and say, this is it too. I mean, men need to see that and be like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's it, too. And that's it. And that's it. And that's mm-hmm. it. So what else can it mean for me? Which is mm-hmm. the question to embrace. Right. Like, you know, what else? Are we about to put a men's conference together, Tina? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I feel like we're about to put together a men's conference. Are you ready, everyone? <laughs> there's there's also like. Um, what I, I would I have another thing I wanted to touch on with you around um 
I'm curious, like, as you, like, because we, we've all kind of, like, stumbled into, like, this new deconstruction space that's, like, starting to evolve and, like, become a, a delicious network and, and um, collection of humans. Um, as you've been working with, like, a lot of post-deconstruction or post-Christian folks or talking to, I don't know, like, deconstructed parents, what's been, like, I don't, I'm wondering, like, what, like, the big questions that are coming up for you around parenting and I don't know what have you seen as you've gotten to know this space more yeah I think one of the things I see is just a lot of fear you know people don't want to do to their kids what was done to them Mm. that's like the number one question and that's really how the shameless parenting book came about I mean it It was funny because the book wasn't, I I never set out to write the book. What I set out to do was put together cheat sheets for doctors and teachers and clergy and um, really anybody that was in the front line with parents Mm -hmm. and could, because I was just fucking tired of seeing how the United States policy world was never moving forward in comprehensive sex ed. And comprehensive Mm, sex ed is our number one way of being protected for our children. Number one way. Hello. And we're not going anywhere. We still have 17 states that require medically accurate sex ed. 17. And we've only improved by about three in the last decade. And I'm going to be dead and we will have gotten nowhere. So I hate I'm it like, here. I hate I'm, it. Here. I'm like, I'm okay. What else can I do? What else can I do? So I thought, okay, I can develop something and put it right in the hands of pediatricians. They're doing well child visits. I can put it right in the hands of teachers. They're doing parent teacher conferences. I can put it right in the hands of youth leaders. I can, you know, like this is what I can do. And these cheat sheets on one side will be, Here's where your kid is age-wise. Here's the developmental tasks they're going to do. Here's the emotional tasks they're going to do. Backside. Here's the shame triggers you're going to feel if your parent didn't do it well for you. And that's okay because we're we're human, Mm -hmm. right? And here's how you heal those shame triggers. And here's the top resources right now out on the market for you to get for you and your kid. Front side, backside, real easy. And I'll make it zero to two, two to four, four to six, six to eight, all the way up to 18. Boom. That's what I did. Before I sent them all to the illustrator, I sent them around to some queer and diversity, Mm -hmm. equity and inclusion colleagues of mine to say, where are my blind spots? What did I miss? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that I should change here? And one of my DEI colleagues said, you know, gave me feedback stuff. and, And then she said, why don't you put this in a book for parents too? And I said, well, it's so didactic. I mean, it's so boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I know, but that's how parents' lives are. You know, if they could Mm -hmm. really like turn to the age of their kid and it would all be right there and they could read it in a half an hour, I think they would be so grateful. And I said, well, let me see if I can find a template that'll make it look user-friendly. And so that's what I did. What I realized as I was putting it together was that it was answering this question that I was getting all the time from parents. And that is, help, I don't wanna do the thing that I'm afraid I'm gonna do to my kid. And I've had, you know, parents that I know that have called me up and said, we're putting together a parent group. If we put it together, because our kids are between 10 and 15, will you come do sex ed for us? 
for like eight or 10 weeks, please, please. Cause we're so afraid of fucking up our kids. We don't want to mm-hmm. do to them what was done to us. And I'm like, sure, no problem. And I could do that off like, the back of my hand. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have been doing that kind of thing for years. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I'm just doing, I'm just answering this question that I keep getting, which is help. How do, I don't want to fuck up my kid. I don't want to fuck up my kid. I know that I don't want to do that, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Hello. I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. That's it. And this, I think that right there is a big sticking point that I think the movement or just like the moment is coming up against is like, we have clearly identified everything we no longer want to do. We clearly see the problems, the patterns, the generational curses, if you will. And we are dedicated to a different kind of world. And at the same time, we... Our imaginations have atrophied to the point where they are no longer effective uh, in helping imagine a better world. Because what do you, if you've been in trauma mode and survival mode for X, Y, Z number of years, and you are just at the beginning of your journey, you know, survival is what you are doing. Healing is what you're doing. And I think that the next stage of healing, at least for what has happened for me, and when I'm working with my clients and I'm working with other people is establishing a, a space of like, you know, theological experimentation of imagination of thinking like wh- what's possible now that I'm free of this lie. Now that I'm outside of the system, now that I am uh, aware of my patterns and my shame and the things that I get hung up on. Yes. What do I actually, what do I want to feel in this moment and also like what do i want to do differently to help continue to promote those good feelings it seems so very simple but until you get to the point where you can ask that question i mean you can't get there from there so it's like i'm just so curious like what is our like i feel it's not even a question it's more of a statement i feel like the role of imagination cannot be understated yep i think you're absolutely right and what as you're talking what i'm thinking One of the big things that gets in the way of that is the fear. There was so Mm -hmm. much fear about if I make the wrong step here, what if I make the wrong step here? What if I make the wrong? And so we stop ourselves from imagining Mm -hmm. as what if I make the wrong step? So it's really believing that you are meant to live an abundant life that mm-hmm. you are meant to be joy filled, that you are, it's okay to make a mistake. Yeah. That you can ask the question, right? That you can go into that place of imagination. And I think that thing that you were just saying, just like the, the fear, it's just like, and what's the fear of? It's a fear of a God or a family or somebody who's going to punish you yeah. for thinking the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's not even asking the wrong question, thinking the wrong the thing. Wrong thing. <laughs> I know for me, like someone like set it up like this, where it's just like they set up God as like, well, like they first say they said like in the South, a lot of prisons that were created were in circles with a big guard tower in the middle. Yes. And so. Foucault's idea of what is it? The penultimate or whatever, where you're. Yes. 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 Yeah. So like there's a guard always watching you can see you whenever. And so uh, apparently they just stopped putting guards up there because all the prisoners were like at any point I could get sniped for any reason. Yes, and yes, so that's the same yes. thing. Like we see God the same way. It's just like for any reason, any thought 
is on display here before God. Yes. And that's, we, we get this idea that God is a punisher, but if I change my mind around that, it's okay, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of punishment. God is not abusive though. So yeah. what, what am I really afraid of? Am I afraid of an illusion? Okay. That still feels weird, but what do I want to do differently? Like that's the thing. It's like, you know, even if you can't fully embrace the idea that God is, is not just not abusive, but God is expansive, loving, and actually very excited about your life. And so for you, so yes. for you, so for you. Mm. Yeah. 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 Dang. See, these are the moments where I'm just like, ugh, if I could like, I don't want to be a Christian, but if I could start something like this, this feels good to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 One of the things I'm often talking about, just because of my age, I got involved in Christianity in the Jesus movement in Southern California when Ooh, it was just all yes. about, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, you, you, you were more accepted if mm -hmm. you had just a really big story about being saved from LSD or something like that. Like there was so much acceptance. There was so little judgment at that particular time mm -hmm. before 1980. And, um, and so my teenage years, there was such, it was such a different Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, it was cross and the switchblade. I mean, it was just a different kind of Christianity. And Can you say that again? The cross and the switchblade? Did you ever hear about that book? No, this sounds very interesting. Oh, so it's a very old book about saving kids off the street, really, hmm. um, and taking them in and loving them up. And this was this was the Jesus. This was the hmm. radical Jesus, but it was this present day radical. It was how you loved up people and you mm -hmm. helped them come off drugs and whatever. And so when the church took this turn to the right and became legalistic, I really looked at the church and said, I don't, Jesus would not be going in that direction. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going in that direction either. And, mm. and, but a lot of people, of course, that I know got involved in the church after that point. And so mm -hmm. it just, it's never felt like the church to me. I mean, it's never felt like my Jesus anyways, I guess is the best way to yeah. say it. So can I tell you like a really weird slash interesting thing that this is why I know that this is spirit, like keep going down that way too. So uh, one of my friends, Azariah Southworth, who um, like when he grew up, you know, he was like very much in like Christian media land for a long time. And both of us have this just like, both of us grew up like evangelical. So we have like this like interesting place in our heart for like, white Southern gospel music and that whole pa the pageantry of it all and just like how very gay it is. Uh -huh. um, but we recently, um, he introduced me to um, the person of Lonnie Frisbee, who I had never heard before yeah. in my life. Oh gosh. And yeah. so uh, I was staying down in Costa Mesa. I went and visited, so we went and visited Lonnie's grave. I was surprised because the space is owned, the Crystal Cathedral is not owned by the Catholic diocese of. It really, I didn't mm -hmm. know that. Yeah. And so, we just got into this kick where we're just like, okay, there's all of these like interesting moments within. And if we look at spiritual history over the course of the entire world, not in Christianities, it's always women and queer folks who are leading those interesting spiritual movements and also who are the head of those spiritual communities. And yet within Western Christianity, it has been the polar opposite of that. And how even within like evangelicalism, people like Lonnie Frisbee, people like, um, what is her name? Who started CCM? The mother of CCM music. What is her name? Oh, I don't know. 
Oh, I can see her face. Anyways, but she like she was one of the early singer songwriters within CCM music. But when she came out as a lesbian in the seventies, she was out it like they put her out. Lonnie Frisbee now uh, died of AIDS in nineteen ninety three, and they also pretty much wiped him from the the stories. The story I know, which I found out way late because I had already come up to walk back up to Washington, and I couldn't believe that that happened. Mm-hmm. That was crazy to me. Wow. Yeah. And so we're like, I was always, I'm always positing this idea of just like, what would it look like? What would it, what would the church have looked like if Lonnie Frisbee as an openly queer person was not having to live a double life? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that question, that question is to me, one of the most powerful questions when you look at the lives Mm -hmm. of so many people, I mean, Paula Stone Williams, for one. I mean, just so many people. I know so many. I know LDS people. I mean, I know so Mm -hmm. many people, you know, and that question. Yeah, what we've done to people. (laughs) (sighs) And I think that it excites me in some ways because it's just like, huh. So like when someone like we were sitting there just like me and my friend just being two queers by another queer's grave. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. feeling just like, well, I guess we'll just start another Jesus movement. Because <laughs> we're just like, you know, just. Demonous. It's just like, you know, Jesus, like, you know, just like Lonnie Frisbee's out here. And then like, because like as the story goes, like Calvary Chapel um, invited Lonnie to become part of the ministries and kind of be. Honestly, because of Lonnie's giftings, that's really what brought people in. I'm just like, because yeah. I'm sorry, but anointing is anointing. God, yes, I'm so right. sorry. <laughs> that's right. Um, but it's just, it, uh, I'm just like, what would happen if like we tried tried it again? You know. Yeah. And and did it right this time. And like, do it in, and do it in colors. Yes, and do it in such a way where it's just like. My favorite thing to say to people is like, I wish you would, could meet Jesus so that you could recognize that He's not the point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He loves you and he wants you to realize that you're the point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And all the colors are just meant to be represented. I mean, just, I mean, just every, everybody. Mm. I mean, it just would be the party that it's supposed to be. Oh, it's like, you know, it's just so like. damn fun. We could feed people. You know, we yeah. could, you know, do some interesting art. We could, you know, rally politically around things that actually, you know, yeah. organize religion around the right thing. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Damn. So Ugh, I this feels good. This is going to be a fun time. Okay, I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I am so thankful, and also, excuse me, I am excited to hang out with you. Yeah. Next week, what a treat! What a dream. I know it's going to be so fun, and yeah. I have your puppy too. What's your puppy's name? Her name is Tip or Tippy or Tippy. yeah, or just little dog. What are you doing over there? She's currently outside playing with um, Jaeger, who is a big Newfoundlander, a Newfoundlander. Oh. And so they're just having a, a gas of a time. Um, oh, but before we hang up, before we hang up, uh, tell folks on the internet where they can get in contact with you and your work and get your books, etc. Yeah. So I'm at Dr. Tina Shameless on Instagram. And Tina S. Sellers on Twitter, although I'm not a super Twitter person. I just can only do so many things. Yeah, um, don't do more than then, you want. And then my institute is at NW Institute on Intimacy. And that's where we do a lot of stuff on training. Um, 
anybody that wants training in sexual health or um, on your sexual biases and just other stuff on sexuality, we do training. So you can I mean, TBH, like I would, there's a part of me, I'm just like, I would love to get like a sex education certification because that to me is just. Oh, it's the jam. I tell you, it is so fun. It is, there's so much to learn and it is, it's fun. It's just super fun. I mean, mm -hmm. people would be surprised how much liberation they would feel in their life just to know mm. all about human sexuality because the myths in our culture hold people down and back. Mm -hmm. They really Ooh. so much more than they realize. You yes. know, and you'd be like, oh, that, understanding that makes this person or this environment or whatever so much more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really liberating work. I mean, and, and stuff to learn. It's so sad to me. I'm Swedish and I'm first, second generation, and they've been doing comprehensive sex ed since the forties. And the difference it makes in a culture like that is so phenomenal, which is why I am on my soapbox all the time. Why I want to change. Let's it. get it done. Let's get it yeah, done. Let's do it. So there's that. And you can get my books on, on Amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold, or you can always contact us and we'll help you find them. So yeah. That, and they're there to just make your lives better. So. Yeah. Buy it and then share it with a friend. Maybe share it with, share it with your parent who needs to like work on their, their triggers. Yeah. What? I want to say one of the good things that I'm hearing the most about from the shameless parenting book is people who aren't parents yet or not sure they're going to be parents or whatever when they've been reading it they've been realizing that they've been healing themselves mm -hmm. because they just learn like oh i was fine or i was more typical than i realized or i got in trouble for things i shouldn't have gotten in trouble for mm -hmm. and it's been doing a lot of healing for people wow. um, even before their parents or whatever. So that's been making me feel real good. That's been I love that. So even if you ain't gonna have any children's in your life, like I just have a little dog and next coming out is gonna be shameless dog parenting where you can recognize <laughs> the developmental stages in your dog written by Dr. Um, I, I tried to come up with a dog pun for your name, but it, it, it didn't come fast <laughs> enough. Come fast enough. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. This has been uh, such a treat and a dream. So fun to be with you. So fun. And that was my conversation with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. If you want to connect with her stuff, follow her across the internet at Dr. Tina Shameless and tinashermersellers.com. All of those links are in the show notes, etc., etc. Um, go pick up her new book, Shameless Parenting. It's it's phenomenal. Even if you're not intending to have children, being able to recognize the ways that you weren't parented, like I think we talked about this in the in the show too, has been like I've just been able to see all the ways in which I was unable to love myself and start loving myself. It's truly incredible. So please uh, go do that. It will do you a world of good. Um, and while you're at it, you can actually go pick up my book too. Um, this is my own shameless plug because this is my podcast. I've got like 32 more books that I'm selling at just $12 a piece, which is cheaper than Amazon. So go to badtheologykills.com, pick up that book and share, you know, buy two, share it with a friend or an enemy, you know, who might need to read it. Uh, Dr. Tina, thank you so much. I love you, girl. I can't wait to see you again. 
If you loved this podcast, I want you to do two things. One, leave us a review in the Apple podcast app. It really does help us get in front of more people. The second thing you can do is join us. Become a part of the Crowded Table online community, which is what I kind of renamed my Patreon community because who just wants to be called a Patreon community? That sounds really stupid. But what the Crowded Table is quickly becoming is a hub for spiritual seekers all over. So if this podcast was good for you and you want to talk to more people who love these kind of conversations, who are doing the work of undoing toxic theology and reimagining all of the beautiful things we can do together, then come on over. It's at patreon.com slash thekevingarcia. We've got weekly meditations, exclusive tarot readings, monthly workshops, hanging out on the Discord channel. We're growing into a book club next month, and you're not going to want to miss out on this, mama or daddy. I don't know. <laughs> um, that's it for me this week. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, share this conversation with somebody uh, that you know, and also have the courage to share it with somebody that maybe you don't know who maybe needs to hear this. Um, until next week, please uh, take your meds, call your person, shake your ass a little bit, eat something delicious, move your body in a way that feels good. And, um, you know, maybe um, pick up a book, maybe go masturbate. Maybe that would feel good. I think that's what I'm going to do right now, if I'm being honest, because that really would feel good. Um, <laughs> especially for the week that we're having right now. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I love you. I'll talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I'm Kevin. I'll talk to you soon, baby. Bye. Bye.